number one, I would say the market in Europe and the market in the United States or, or North America are, are drastically different. I kind of realized that, you know, with my previous employer, sure, from a from a technical and operational perspective, right, there's a lot of lessons learned. But from a commercial perspective, as far as how you actually monetize that power is, is drastically different. We are here to try to explain to you what it is we do here. The solar industry in the U.S. employs more people than Google, Apple, Facebook, and Twitter combined. The most valuable commodity I know of is information. Wouldn't you agree? Welcome into the Green Insider Podcast, powered by eRenewable. I am your host, Fred Davis. Welcome into the program, episode 83, happening right now, and we're glad to have you on board as we are each and every episode. Another great episode on tap today as we welcome to the program, Mr. John Markwell, Head of Commercial Management and Trading for the Exus Management Partner Group. Very excited to talk a little bit about what they're doing, kind of their expansion into the United States. They've been here for a few years now, but uh, they are certainly making waves in the renewable energy space, and of course, they are a proud member of the North American Energy Market Association, NEMA, for those of you scoring at home. And of course, you guys know that we do work with NEMA. Uh, shout out to Tim Berrigan, Donna Foy, and of course, Mr. Steve Shepard. You hear the NEMA News Minute here every other week, and so stay tuned for that next week. You will get a NEMA News Minute. But before we get into Mr. Markwell and what they're doing over at Exus, let's hear from our very own co-founder and COO, Miss Ann Niemer, telling you what we do here at eRenewable. Hi, Ann Niemer here, co-founder and COO of eRenewable. At eRenewable, we know everyone has sustainability needs and wants. We want to help you reach your ESG goal. Our goal is to bring technology to the sustainability space by hosting real-time online auctions for both buyers and sellers. Our electronic management tool helps streamline the RFP process. Whether you need to procure energy or find an off-taker for a renewable project, our platform will provide pricing efficiencies to your organization. Our other projects include solar or battery storage development, renewable natural gas or responsibly sourced gas, LED lighting, and HVAC efficiency upgrades, or unbundled RECs or RSG certificates, all helping our customers reach their sustainability goals and meeting their ESG needs. Please visit our website at eRenew.net or call us at 1-866-ERENEW1. As always, thank you for listening to The Green Insider, powered by eRenewable. Thank you so much for that, Miss Ann Niemer. You can get all that information over our website, eRenew.net. we got a brand new website coming up here pretty soon, new redesign. Stick around for that. And, of course, give us a follow on our LinkedIn page, eRenewable and The Green Insider Podcast. And, of course, we've got a brand new podcast series that we're debuting this Friday, Power Chat Follower Fridays. Yes, it's as simple as it sounds. If you follow us on the eRenewable and Green Insider page, and we ask that you do if you haven't done so already, and every Friday, starting this Friday, we're going to do a Power Chat with a different follower of the page. So we kind of got that idea of when uh, Mr. Alexander Vining from Carter Maddox jumped on with us a couple weeks ago. We're very excited about having Bridget Silva from Criterion Energy Partners. She's going to be the debut episode this Friday. We're very excited about that. So again, if you're not following us on eRenewable and the Green Insider page on LinkedIn, please do so. We'll be 
putting out information about how you can become uh, part of the Power Chat Follower Friday series. We're very excited about it, and you should be too. Okay, let's get down to the episode with Mr. John Markwell, Head of Commercial Management and Trading for Exus Management Partners. Again, another great NEMA member, and that's how we made the connection with them. Again, if you're not a NEMA member, certainly check that out over at NEMA.com. Some of the things we're going to get into the episode today with Mr. Markwell, just the difference and similarities between the U.S. and European markets. Of course, Exus originated in Europe before making their way over to the United States. John will touch on that. He'll also get into a little bit about how Exus was able to change some of their market strategy. And of course, he'll get into the ever-changing development landscape in the market. A lot of great stuff. Of course, somebody who, Mr. Markwell, very well-versed in all things renewable energy and asset management. So without further ado, please welcome to the program, Mr. John Markwell. Thanks for having me. First off, started my career in the hedge fund industry, uh, specifically working for a commodity hedge fund and, and took keen interest to, you know, the, the power space. The energy transition was had, had just started and, and knew that I kind of wanted to do something more meaningful. And, and so I actually transitioned first to a retail energy provider that only sold green energy. And, and I managed uh, their book as far as uh, purchasing the power to provide to our customers. About two years ago, the opportunity uh, at Exus came around. And at that point, I wasn't familiar with Exus, but the, the more and more I, I heard about it, the, the more interested I became. And so Exus started in Europe in, in 2014. And, and basically, the founders of the company saw that there was kind of a transition in the renewable energy space from your typical utilities and IPPs owning renewable energy projects and that there was new capital coming into the space. There was a need for experts like Exus employees to, number one, help find those investments for this new sources of capital, but to also manage those assets for them once they own them. And so Exus expanded into North America in 2018 through a partnership with, with Jim Spencer, who used to be the founder and CEO of Everpower, which was a large wind developer. Exus today, we, we have around 20 separately managed accounts globally that we help source investments, acquire or develop those projects, and then do the full technical and commercial management of those projects once our investors own them. You're finding a lot of these companies that they started out over in Europe and they start over and then they, they, they launch over here in, in the United States. Did you guys get a lot of guidance from them when you started or was it more of a collaborative effort? And how much did you know of the global market from a renewable energy standpoint when you started Exus? How much did that collaboration lead to where you guys are at right now? Number one, I would say the market in Europe and the market in the United States or, or North America are, are drastically different, right? And And... I kind of realized that, you know, at my previous employer when I was working for, for Centrica. Sure, from a from a technical and operational perspective, right, there's a lot of lessons learned. But from a commercial perspective, as far as how you actually monetize that power is is drastically different, right? And so sure, you know, from a from a, a technical perspective, from a systems, you know, perspective, from a how we interact with our investors and our customers, there's a lot of similarities, right? But from a from actually monetizing the power and, and optimizing these assets from a revenue perspective is is drastically different. You know, there there's definitely something some things as we expanded into you know North America that that we leverage, but there's a lot of things that are drastically different that um, you know Europe kind of depends on us to understand. You know, that was that was the good thing. It wasn't like 
there was one Exus colleague, or, or one of our partners that, that came over from Spain to help launch Exus North America. But, you know, the majority of the team, at least in the early stages, were, were ex-Everpower employees or folks that had, like myself, that had, you know, been working in, you know, the power and renewables space in North America and were more familiar with those differences between Europe and North America. We first started operating in North America, at least to my knowledge, was, was never in, in the game plan to develop assets. I mean, we're not doing Greensfield development to this day. But as more and more capital has come into the space and there's more competition for the assets, we're starting to see less projects actually change hands. It's more gone to a developer model where these large oil and gas companies, these infrastructure funds are going and buying development platforms. So it used to be the developer model where a developer would develop a project. And then, you know, whether that was at notice to proceed or COD, right, they would sell that project and recycle capital to then invest in their their next project. But as more capital has come into the space, now you're seeing, you know, the investment not on a project level, but more on a platform level. And so, you know, we're seeing less operational projects change hands for us to be able to put capital at work, right? We're, we're having to get innovative, right? And it doesn't mean that we won't invest in a platform at some point. Exus has a, large, a long history of optimizing from both a technical and a financial perspective win projects. And so, you know, one of the, the strategies we've had recently is the ability to be able to find existing wind projects that are not necessarily at the end of their useful life or or there's or there's turbine you know companies that have OEMs that have gone bankrupt and we're actually repowering those facilities and and using existing land leases using existing interconnection agreements using existing foundations and really the the infrastructure is there and we're placing these aging turbines with newer technology that then you know increases the annual production of the facility without having to start the full development cycle and and wait you know three years for the project to be operational so that's one of the strategies we've been using to put capital to work and 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 from my perspective on, on the commercial side right generally uh, commercial and industrial customers right whether we're trying to approach them to get a ppa find a repowering meeting the additionality criteria where they actually feel like because they're signing a ppa with us this project you know is getting repowered and so it's it's met their criteria for additionality which has been great you, when you buy one of these projects, you initially buy it as the off taker, then you sell off pieces of it to the CNI space, or are you not the off taker at all? That you always have an off taker in place and you just manage the power for that off taker. How does that work? When we find a, a project that's a candidate for repowering, and we treat that like any normal investment, right? We, we go in and figure out what the technical solution that will work, what the market for an off take agreement is, if there's any, you know, regulatory or legal challenges that would go along with it. And, you know, then we, we go find an investor, right? And it's just like, if it was any operational project, right? It's just that the upside of that project is you're, you're not just buying this existing project with its operating history. It's how lucrative this project is or, or has been. You're, you're buying it for an upside of, of repowering, right? And 
you know, generally that you can go find aging projects and be able to use Excess's both technical and, and commercial capabilities to take a project that may be not meeting the return expectations of, of the current sponsor. And maybe the current sponsor doesn't have the technical capabilities to go and repower it, right? And so these, these large institutional investors are willing to sell that project and we're willing to take it and, and optimize that project and get the return that, that our investors expect. I'm going to go back on additionality for one second. So let's say that you have a hundred megawatt project that you're looking for the CNI off takers for that hundred megawatts. Yep. And you, and you have one, one customer that takes 60 megawatts, another customer take 30 megawatts and one customer only take 10. Do all three get to claim additionality? or only the 60 megawatt that takes a higher percentage? What, when we're talking about additionality, right? Yeah, I mean, they can claim the percentage that they're they're actually helping, right? So so their investment by, by monetizing that power and buying that power, right, is adding more clean energy to the grid, right? And, and there's no real rules from a PR perspective, right? I, I think, you know, even the person that's buying 10%, would, would say we're buying renewable energy from a wind facility that because we're now buying this power was able to get repowered. 18 months ago, you had too many projects and not enough buyers. And now you're in a situation where you've got not enough projects and, and, and a whole slew of buyers. Access has seen that, that dynamic change. What do you think has been the key impetus for that? And is it because of what's going on right now, I guess, across the ESG pipeline or what is it? Yeah, 100%. I think it's definitely the ESG focus, right? I think the amount of capital, right, that's come into the space, right? I think that there's too much capital and it's exactly what you said. It, there's too much capital and not enough projects, right? And so I would say that it, there's there's so much capital and and not enough projects, but that the valuations of some of these platforms that are trading hands are higher than anyone could have ever anticipated right i mean i would say that you know you have developers that have built a couple of projects and have a pipeline of one to two gigawatts right and and whether and and they don't have a huge you know track record of developing you know highly successful projects and yet those those platforms are getting bought at valuations that i don't think many foresaw you know even two or three years ago and so I think there's a lot of momentum behind it. And I hope that, that federal policy and state policies continues to be supportive so that these projects can get built and that, you know, the energy transition kind of rides this wave of the amount of liquidity that's coming into the space to be able to put capital to work and, and get projects built. Listen, I think it's not that the projects are getting built, right? It's just not, it, it's, if you're not developing, owning, and operating them, right, you can't be just an investor looking for one-off projects, right? I think it's gone from from buying, you know, specific projects to buying platforms, and and the the ability to be able to go and and buy single projects has become sparse. I, I don't think it necessarily slows down the the amount of projects that are getting built or the amount of capital that's being put to work. I just think that the the strategy for how we get there has changed a little bit. Yeah, so they're going and buying developers that have a team, right? They have engineers that help build the projects. They have, you know, permitting folks that go and get the, you know, county permits. They have a land acquisition team to go find the land that the projects are going to be built on. They have a full commercial team that can go out and 
negotiate offtake agreements, find a home for for the megawatts, right? And so instead of infrastructure funds going and buying individual projects from that developer, they're just going and buying the development company. Like one of the largest uh, solar developers has been Savion, and and Savion was just bought by Shell in a competitive process. So, I mean, is it is it smaller platforms, so to speak, that are getting bought out? I mean, obviously, Savion's not a small one, it's but smaller. Yeah, it's mostly smaller, right? But it's all sizes, right? It just it just depends on how big they are. It's a you know bigger company buying them, you know. But I think even European infrastructure funds, right, are starting to develop teams in in the U.S. that are building and developing these projects and managing it either stateside or not stateside, right? And so. You know, and, and that creates an opportunity for excess for someone who doesn't have a fully functioning team here to come in and do the asset management, help with the construction management, you know, help uh, originate offtake agreements, etc. The project may be there, but the developer list is shortened because of the consolidation of the aggregation of people being rolled up. Exactly, Mike. I mean, if if you look at a list of the top 50 developers in the U.S., right, I would you know, I think SparkSpread put something out a few months ago where, you know, it listed the top 25 developers and all but five had been bought by large institutional investors. The market is bustling right now. Access is right there in the middle of it. What are you guys poised for in 2022? Kind of what's, you, you know, you said you're in, uh, what, you got 20 separate accounts going on globally. What's kind of the big picture look for 2022 right now for Access and its team? For, for excess is just to continue, you know, playing our part in the energy tradition, right? We have we have capital to put to work. So it's it's sourcing good projects for our investors. It's continuing to treat the assets that we manage from an asset management and energy management perspective as if they're our own. Right. There's there's a lot of service providers out there that just treat you as one of numbers, right? When we have an investor come and trust us with managing their assets, we treat them as if they're our own. Right. And and, and we really look out for you know, both the, you know, for the financial wherewithal of our investors and, and make sure that we treat these assets, you know, we go above and beyond to make sure that we, we optimize them both from a technical and financial perspective. And, you know, I think the last piece for us is just continuing to be good members of the communities that we operate in, right? I think a lot of times the, one of the competitive advantages as we think about building new projects, whether that's from greenfield development or, or repowering, is just being good members of the communities that we operate in. And, and we always try to do that both from an excess perspective, but also our investors as well. Thank you so much for that, Mr. John Markwell. You can catch all of the Green Insider episodes over at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and over on our website, eRenew.net. And if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, and we know that a lot of you do, give us a five-star rating. Why? Because we promised you to learn more about renewable energy and the energy transition from the podcast than you knew about it before you stopped by. All right, stay tuned. we got some great stuff coming up. We already mentioned about the Follower Friday series. Again, if you're not a follower of eRenewable and the Green Insider podcast on LinkedIn, do so. Let's get connected, and let's get you on the Follower Friday series, of course, Bridget Silva from Criterion Energy Partners. She'll be joining us this Friday and next week, the much-awaited Deloitte series with Jennifer Juno and Marlene Matika. Two-part series. We're very excited about that as well, and we know you will be too. So for the entire eRenewable team and Mike, Roger, and Al, thank you so much for listening to, of course, all the audience, the guests, and everybody that makes this show possible. This has been the Green Insider Podcast, powered by eRenewable. We make going green easier. <laughs>